and we are live. Hello everybody and welcome to season two, episode 10 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we look back through the history of human existence and pull out some examples of the stupidest, most ignoramously empowered people, uh, that's not a sequence of words, uh, <laughs> it is ever to words. exist and give you lessons from their mistakes so that you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. Mistakes are funny. Like when you're doing the intro to a podcast and you make up words. That's hey. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Ignoramously. <laughs> That's not a word. It's, uh, a new language. Is, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm making up a new language. It's gibberish. Uh, joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are things going with you, my friend? Uh, going, going real well. That's uh, great enjoying yeah. the slide into summer mm. <laughs> this the slide i always picture the uh arizona slide into summer as the slide into uh nighttime in the rainforest where all of a sudden there's light around you and then you get you turn around a corner and then boom darkness because there's tree cover everywhere <laughs> and you can't see any light anymore so I'd imagine at Arizona, it's like, oh, this is mild. It's like 20 degrees. I can handle this. Boom, 55 degrees. Get underground. Yeah, um, it's that is that it did that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. It was beautiful. We've, we've, and then it was 106 or something. Oh, yeah. Jeez. And it's like a dry heat as well, because obviously you're in a desert. So wouldn't know I don't go outside when it's that. Well, it's yeah. Ridiculous. You can. Yeah, I would melt immediately. <laughs> Uh, we we've had it. We've had this weird thing in this country, and it's it's very typical of British summers, where we really only have like I've said it before, two seasons. I think it's more like two and a half. So we have winter, and then we have uh, winter two point five, which is like the kind of it, it's still cold, but it's it's less shitty outside. And then <laughs> then we have like boom summer, we're as hot as Greece. What the hell is going on? Um, and it's weird because the, the, the country has been dipping its toes into summertime for like the last month and a half. It's been like, Ooh, 20 degrees, 20 degrees getting into summer. No, back to freezing cold again. Get your jumpers back on. Oh, we're going back. Yeah. So that's, we've got that going on right now. The, <laughs> oh, not quite, not quite. Just, just ready. Peekaboo heat wave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh... And actually, um, I'm, I'm kind of, part of me is really excited for the heat wave. I hate heat, as, as most people will know. Follow <laughs> me, but um, the upshot of heat in this country is we get a thunderstorm three or four days after we get the intense heat. Oh. Now, I've just built an extension on my house, it's all glass. I want to sit out in that thing, listen to cool music, and, and experience a thunderstorm as it happens directly above my head. I want that, to see that shit. That sounds amazing, actually. I was. I'm and, really excited about that. I really am. So, um, sorry, go on. I was going to say, you said the thunderstorms. We get those at the end oh, of summer here uh, yeah. in the monsoons. And God, some of those are great. Yeah. Now I want a glass room. Oh, yeah. You definitely, in a situation <laughs> like that, you want to be able to experience it in like full surround. I remember uh, working out in Pennsylvania for a summer and, uh, whoops, I'm messing with my camera. Um, and the thunderstorms there were intense. Um, really quite powerful because you could see because there was nothing around right so you could see for miles and miles in every direction and you could see the whole light shine it was just incredible we don't have that in this country because we've either got mountains in the way or like someone's house or <laughs> a few trees in someone's back garden because we're all on top of each other so you know to have the vast expanse that you guys have over there and to experience the amazing things that happen in nature that's what i want 
but I'll just make do with my amazing new greenhouse. So um, I have a question. <laughs> uh, your son plays baseball, right? It's coming towards the end of the baseball season. Is that right? It is. Yeah, they just finished up uh, the state playoffs. Uh, they okay. got uh, knocked out by Brophy, but today he actually shot his college recruitment video with nice. uh, his advisors. So that was we're we're moving right along. <laughs> and and your son has like he had an injury, but he's come back and like he, what's his ERA at the moment? Uh, I believe he finished the season with a under three ERA. Okay, I, so I don't know exactly, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's that's, he, that's pretty good, right? He was coming in as a reliever, and right. he had 20, 20 strikeouts and nice. uh, not a lot of runs. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the exact ERA was, but I think it was sub sub three ERA. That's pretty good. That's, that's yes. like solid. Yeah, all those, especially as a reliever. That's that's really, really good, I guess. So, and he should be back to starting uh, going into his senior year here next year. That's good. Yeah, that's obviously like the senior year when people are hitting like 17, 18. It's when they typically bulk up, you know, and like you you joints and your ligaments and stuff get a bit stronger if you work out properly and that's that's when you can build up the core um, it kind of relates nicely to the guy i'll be talking about who i don't think ever grew from like the age of 15 onwards but we'll get to that later um, okay <laughs> so i'll be covering a baseball guy this time and i'll need your nice help numbers it's very exciting um well, try to help with numbers we'll see what you. i can <laughs> yeah and, and moments in history that maybe lost on me but you can be like oh no, no that was a big deal you know some shit like that so yeah um so derek before we get to the baseball guy i know you've got someone who you've classed as eventually a conspiracy theorist so please tell me who your idiot is this week okay well i wanted to start out by saying that uh, i consider myself like a, a spiritual sort of guy mm but not so that much a religious person. I don't yeah. don't dig the religious doctrine and dogma sort of thing. Yeah, and... I, I get that from you. Like you are you are you have that in you, but you don't prescribe specifically to one set of beliefs. You just right. sort of yeah, I, you, I get that totally. And I I feel like that might make me more like susceptible to reading books and listening to talks and running in some of the same circles as this guy. Which <laughs> scares me a little bit. Okay, <laughs> so fine. keep me in check. <laughs> I will. I will keep. Don't worry. If you if you start to talk about five G radiation, I'll I'll help you out. Don't worry. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because <laughs> he really just takes it too far. And okay. Yeah. We'll get into it. We'll start at the beginning, though. He was born in San Diego, California, on August sixth, nineteen seventy. Oh, wow. And from all accounts and everything that I was able to find out, he had a relatively normal childhood. Okay. He spent his entire youth uh, living and growing up in and around the San Diego area. And when he went off to college, he didn't go very far. He went to the University of California in Santa Barbara. So he just went straight north. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, he studied mechanical and environmental engineering and political science. Wow. And I think maybe some of the political science got him into where he goes. But um I, I know you're thinking, okay, how the hell did this guy get on your radar? It's super boring. You got all the way to college. He hasn't done anything. Nobody died. <laughs> there was no touching or anything. Yeah. And uh, you're right. He's a totally normal dude all the way up through college. And just like most people that take shit too far, um, 
something happened at the age of 18. Yeah. He became intolerant to dairy and he started cool. exploring uh, alternative diets. Okay. Right. Yeah. Totally that, understand that brought him into the world of organic and raw foods. Very nice. And right around that time, he was earning his Juris Doctorate. He was becoming a lawyer, getting a law degree at, once again back down in San Diego at the University of San Diego. He transitioned fully into living an organic raw food lifestyle. And wow. him and his buddy from high school, Stephen Adler, started a uh, nutrition company. Ooh. And the Stephen Adler feller later on changes his name to Thor. Thor Blazer. Thor. <laughs> Sorry, yes, say that again. Changes his name to Thor Blazer. Oh, that's fucking amazing. I want to meet right? that guy. I know. He's got to be awesome yeah. or a total douche. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. But either way, <laughs> even if he's a total douche, you want to meet him, right? Preferably, I want to meet him with someone like Louis Theroux around so that we can document the experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, yeah, someone who changes their name from, what was it, Stephen Adler, did you say? Yes. Yep. Yeah, Stephen Adler, which is like pretty standard name, to Thor Blazer, like like blazer, like jacket. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, With Thor a C, a man. Jack Blazer. Oh, laser blazer. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, um, uh, that's that's yeah, that's an unusual guy, and this is just his partner. So I can't yeah. wait to find out what this guy's like. Oh, yes. He's <laughs> um, I'll let you in on a secret. His middle name, he legally changed to avocado oh right okay anyway in 1995 him and his buddy steven launched nature's first uh which was an organic food and products company re related to the raw foodism and they started this business out of the trunk of their car because nice. that's where you want your raw food from <laughs> uh it's, it's it's funny you should say that um my dad in the early 70s, I think early 70s, yeah, he was like a teenager or something. Um, he bought a, a a record out of the boot of a car. This guy, this hairy, bearded fucker, came along in a car, opened his... It sounds dodgy, I know, but... Stay with me. <laughs> uh, opened the boot of his car and just like thousands of records, all of them dirt cheap. All of them had come from Europe, mainland Europe, come over in this car with this guy who'd bought them all there, paid the price to get through customs and was then selling them cheaper than they were in the record stores, but was making a profit. That person was Richard Branson who started Virgin oh. records. And then, uh, and then he signed Mike Oldfield who released tubular bells, which was the soundtrack to the, um, uh, what's the, the exorcist. Oh, okay. The okay. music from the exorcist, which launched the record company. He made a shitload of money off the record company. And now he's launching phallic shaped rockets into space along with the other billionaires. <laughs> I think his looks more like a Star Wars type of yeah. aircraft. His, his is, is the a bit more shit. Yeah, his is a bit more stylized as opposed to I'm in a giant penis. His yeah. is a bit more like maybe 2001 esque, you know, something like that. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was Richard Branson. So, people selling, you never know when you see someone selling stuff out of the boot of a car, they might end up being famous slash infamous one day. Right. But okay, but records out of a, it's better than food. Like, I'm I not so buying so. steaks from a, a trunk of a car. Oh no, Christ no! Even if even if it's in ice, do not do that. No, no just, that's not, it's good. not good. Anyway, 
So now we're going to fast forward again. 1995, they launched that. They're dealing out of the trunk of their car. By 2005, the company had grown to 23 employees and was taking in somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million a year in revenue. Which wow, is that's amazing. Good stuff. Not too yeah. bad for a, a lactose intolerant kid from Southern California. Yeah, um, this is great. From there... He went on to become sort of an evangelist for raw foods, and he was okay. traveling around um, speaking and okay. getting people hyped on it and kind of almost creating a religion around it. And right. Adler was back there running the business, doing his thing. In 2006, they started a sacred chocolate company um, <laughs> that sells a specialized raw chocolate. Okay. And in a quote... He he said, chocolate, <clears throat> by this time, this is the type of belief he had here. He had this quote okay. of, chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun. Chocolate is an octave of sun energy. And that's why uh-huh. they started this raw chocolate company. So, <laughs> eat healthy raw foods and do that has turned into, now we're eating chocolate because it's sun energy. Lined up with the sun energy. I feel like we're like three steps away from reptiloids are ruling the world. Like already, when you hear shit like that, you're like, it's not a stretch from there to crazy. And it's weird because there wasn't like outside of, I think, where he became a speaker and started buying into his own bullshit and getting more and more grand that you kind of lose the fuzzy lines of good (laughs) and well that sounds a little crazy yeah so he said that and he truly believes it and the problem is is that he has 11 million followers on social media holy shit and he's consistently invited out to speak as an expert and folks look to him for information and wow he um Buys into things beyond just like chocolate is sun stuff. Like, let me jump into some of the other stuff that he's a prominent supporter of. Hit me with it. Um, He doesn't believe in vaccines. He's part of the anti-vax movement and has been part of a group of people that spread the misinformation that vaccines are harmful and lead to autism. And oh Jesus God, I oh I have yeah I know the doctor involved in that. He was struck off from the NHS. And right. oh, we will get to him in time. Yeah, Fuck me. <laughs> well, this guy's out there preaching his his words and yeah. um, saying the other ones they don't even work. It's just the drug companies getting getting their hands into you. <sighs> he also likes to push the idea that cancer research and modern cancer treatments are largely a fraud. Hmm. Um, it should come as no surprise that he operates various websites and online stores that sell yeah. alternative products claiming ah. to treat or prevent cancer. Um, yeah. As, as a matter of fact, he advocates that people with cancer treat it with dietary supplements and raw foods. That ain't going to reduce your tumor. <laughs> Sorry. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, in addition Unless to those... made of uranium. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it, it eat that shit. It'll disappear in no time along with your body. But yeah. Sorry, Carol. Yeah, and... Yeah, <laughs> your hair, your nails, everything. Yeah. So along with that, uh, he promotes a diet based on unprocessed foods, stating that the detoxification effect um, is it's it's good 
for your alignment. <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck's sake. <laughs> and now, well, I, I don't disagree that unprocessed foods and oh, more yeah. natural foods are better for you. Sure. Pasteurize your milk. Fuck yes, pasteurize your milk. <laughs> Louis Pasteur um, has saved more people than any French person in history. Pasteurize your fucking milk or you will die very easily. You know, right. and also I just wanted to point out a lot of people, even in mainstream diets, like they talk about detoxifying, right? We need to mm -hmm. they need to be more clear with this. What they're saying is you're not eating processed stuff, you need to flush your system. What they're not talking about is, and they some people do, they use the word toxins. You do not have toxins in your system. If you had toxins in your body, you would go into toxic shock. You would die quite easily. So, yes. So when they say what they should be saying is more along the lines of like impurities. So like stuff that's not good to be inside your body for a long period of time because it's not great, you know, processed meat, we know about, even though it's fucking delicious, you know, like, stuff like that, we know right, it's not like great, so the diet, hang yeah, around. exactly, and, like, processed fats, all, all of that shit, sugars, whatever, microplastics, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> whenever we get into the word toxins, what people should really be saying is, like, just higher quality nutrients is, is what we're talking about here, really, uh, that stuff is fine. If he's preaching that, it's like saying you should eat more, you know, non-processed foods. That's great. When you start talking about alignment and vaccines and it can cure cancer, that's when, like, you lose credibility quite quickly. Right. And and he actually lost credibility because the <laughs> British dietetic... Uh, di dietetic... Can you... I can't say it. Di dietitian? Dietetic Dietetic Association? Maybe I didn't sure. spell it right. That's, That's possible. Okay. I typed it wrong. <laughs> um, they outright uh, denounced his claims for detoxification and says <laughs> detoxification has been found to be unscientific and lacking yep. evidence in mm -hmm. numerous studies. Exactly. <laughs> and that uh, he pushes uh, food, raw foodism as a fad diet and it's pseudoscientific. Um pushing it as a lifestyle uh, if you're backing it up with claims that aren't unscientific for sure but you know eating raw food ain't, ain't bad for you just just moderation is the key to everything really? right so balance don't, yeah exactly Look what's like, working for you exactly you know i know someone who went vegan and i fully supported them that person ended up having to not be vegan because they became uh they had a vitamin d deficiency which was becoming quite dangerous so the active they actually had to start eating meat again quite quickly they have gone vegetarian since but like it, it's right. it, it is something that it has to work for you but making it as a kind of a lifestyle thing that's where you're kind of crossing a bit of a line right yeah um now i bet you're probably wondering because this guy is a current day living person yeah he is uh, very much so what was he up to during the COVID pandemic? Ah. <laughs> well, since the onset of the pandemic, he has been a frequent COVID-19 uh, conspiracy theorist mm -hmm. and anti-mask act activist. Wow. He's spoken at anti-mask rallies and repeatedly claimed without evidence that COVID-19 was artificially created and released. Oh, he's one um, of those. Okay. <laughs> And and the, the the reason that he's on my radar is because he has eleven million followers mm. on on Facebook, and he he, he used uh, Facebook advertising to advertise his uh, 
collodial silver products. Oh, what? That's crazy. Despite the National Institute of Health's warning saying that they're not safe or effective for treating any disease or condition. No. Uh, I don't even know if I said it right, but yeah, he, he calls his brand the number one recommendation under the current crisis, and medical professionals describe those sorts of treatments as potentially harmful yeah. and a false cure, just so you know. <laughs> um, that's I, that's this, crazy. It's a short one, and I'm going to come out and say that, yeah, he's that fucking guy. David Alvocado Wolf. Um <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, He's... David Avocado Wolf. Yes, with an E. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I fucking love that name. Avocado I know. Wolf. I'm kind of jealous. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, all you have to do, just like make your last name a little bit more wild and then just like kind of Eat raw change food. the middle into a vegetable. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let's see then. Um... Lev, broccoli, um, uh, Dan, oh, D Daffodil. I don't know. I just fucking throw shit in there. Derek Corn Gila Monster. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> That's Jesus. like a Pokemon name. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this that dude is um, one of the most ubiquitous public figures mm. pushing conspiracy theories of COVID and bad food yeah. science. And um, I, I'm not even sure what brought him onto my radar other than I was like, ah, oh, this guy's trying to fucking kill people for money. <laughs> yes. Oh, he believes it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so weird as well, because like there are a lot of people out there at the moment that are what you would say at the forefront of the anti-vax, anti-COVID vaccination, uh, anti-mask movement. We've got a bunch of them in this country. One of them is, so the leader of the opposition until reasonably recently was um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. And he was as far left as any human being can go in the UK at the moment and still be a politician. So okay. it was very much a socialist, very much. He, he protested against Israel in his youth, uh, wanted the free Palestine movement, free Tibet, very much a socialist. Okay. His brother, Piers Corbyn, is a fucking lunatic who goes to these rallies and says that AIDS was made in a lab and released as population control and blah, 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 blah and all this bullshit. Um, so yeah, birds of a f the, the complete opposite ends of the, the bloody family spectrum. So this guy's doing this over in America. It's interesting because he started out from, like if he just carried on with the 23 employees, 6 million income or, 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 profit whatever it was and just stayed out of the limelight then that's fine but the problem is is that when you become a thought leader in a market mm -hmm. or a field or like people like oh this guy made a, a shitload of money from raw food we should follow him and then you get a following and nobody is around to do what the ancient romans had in their time whenever anyone won a battle and they'd come to rome they come back to rome and they'd have like the the, the kind of the celebratory march right. through the the thing and they cross the bridge and they bring on all their their triumphant conquests and the slaves and the stuff that they'd taken they had thing called i think they're called awagas awigas something like that these okay. are taxi drivers essentially in ancient rome and they were there to drive the uh, victorious generals through rome as people were celebrating and throwing stuff at them and saying how amazing they were their job was <laughs> A, to drive the car, 
and B, to lean over into the general's ear from time to time and go, you are just a man. And then like <laughs> 10 minutes later, you're amazing. Oh my God, thank you for conquering Gaul. You are just a man. So basically they were there to stop them from getting massive heads. Yeah. Right? From he needed getting... one of those. Oh my God, we need so many of these in our <laughs> world today. We need someone to to kind of put people in check because Dude. he it, it reminds me a bit of the What Work guy that has oh. recently been featured in We Crash. Sorry, the, We Work. Yeah, the We Work. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he oh he, he makes me jealous because he bought into his own stuff so hard. I know. I know. He he basically churned out a series of blurbs and and corporate words and new age stuff and thought that that was a business strategy, but it, it wasn't because they worked. were losing a hundred million a month. He took off a billionaire yeah. though. He did. He re- he, <laughs> he made had to out. Keep it. So good. He got to keep all his money despite the insanity. So that's the problem with a system where you become successful and people follow you is that you need people around you to keep you humble, to keep your feet on the ground so much. And this this applies to every walk of life. If you are working too hard, if you are, you know, becoming a success in your job, if you're uh you're flying high in a different part of your life, you do occasionally need someone to remind you, like, get your shit together, calm down. Because otherwise, he, human beings have a big habit of going off the rails. Oh, yeah. He, and the problem is, is he not only didn't have somebody like that. Yeah. The dude that he thought that he had that was like that was like, <laughs> nah, fuck it. My name's Thor Blazer now. My name's Thor Blazer. <laughs> fuck me. Uh, that's that's amazing. I think um, I have a, a really big problem with people that use misinformation, disinformation for profit. Um and and he, that's clearly what he's doing. Like, have you ever seen the film? And I'm sure a lot of people watched it over the last three years. A film called Outbreak by um, Stephen. I can't even remember the name of the director. He did the um, the Ocean's Eleven trilogy. Stephen uh, Soderbergh, maybe. So, um, uh, yeah, something Sounds like that. Right. I was going to say Sondheim, but that's that's music. That's musicals. Um, and it's got like an all star cast. Like Jude Law is in it, and. Um, the one with the monkey? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's that's a different one. No, I'm thinking oh. of a more modern one. Anyway, so Jude Law's character in it is an Australian guy who is essentially Alex Jones, uh, before yeah. Alex Jones was really kind of mainstream famous. Um, and he is talking about how the outbreak is. He has the cure to the outbreak, and that the the government is repressing it, and he's the only person with the outbreak. And you should buy this. This is the, the the thing that he's found that works. It just so happens that A, he knows he's lying and he knows that he's killing his friends, but he just happens to have shares in this this one particular product. So he's making a shitload of money off it all the time. It's a really great film. I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to have to look it up. Jude Law's in it. Um, what's the name from Titanic? Um, Kate Winslet? In it. Kate Winslet's in it. Uh, a bunch of other like big Lawrence Fishburne's in it. Um, Matt Damon is in it. Gwyneth Paltrow's in it for a a full scene until she's dead. Um, so yeah, Man. that was that Contagion. Was Contagion. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. the one. That great was a film. Movie. Yeah, that was a really good movie. Not <clears throat> great to watch during a pandemic, but no. it's a good movie. <laughs> a bit too close to home in a pandemic. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I recommend watching it purely because of Jude, Jude Law's character, the Australian gimmick that he's got going on he's the main villain of the piece because you need a villain yeah. um 
and this guy kind of reminds me a little bit of him. You know, he's like pushing this on for money. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Is it's unvarnished, like there's no disguising it. He owns it, he's pushing it as a, a thing, and for that, um, plus the bullshit, um, <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm gonna go eighty one. Okay. Um, because we don't know if he's responsible for any deaths, at least at this point, if there were statistics that came out and said, oh, as a direct result of his endorsement, people bought this and 10 people died. You yeah. Know, and, I would be more inclined. I think the closest thing would be that he talked somebody out of a, a successful or possibly effective cancer treatment in favor of <sighs> eating raw food and oh, taking God, his that's supplements. That's like a South Park episode. That's terrible. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's type of thing someone needs to bring this guy down to earth and show him reality because uh, i've known a lot of people that have had cancer none of them survived it um from eating raw food they survived it from chemo and radiotherapy and you know treatments that surrounded those things to make them feel a little bit better but yeah i'd love to see the numbers on raw food cures i don't think it's high so no i don't think so it's probably sugar (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> eat your vegetables. By all means, eat raw food. Just don't try and use it as a treatment for cancer or COVID or anything else this guy is telling you to do other than eat more raw food. It's fine. You know, just don't make it be a lifestyle. 81 is fine. I wanted to revisit, actually. I've been listening, re-listening to a lot of our earlier episodes, and I realized that I only gave Thomas Midgley Jr. a 90. Um, we've had a lot oh. of people get higher than that. <laughs> oh. This guy is the planet destroyer, so... I would like to retroactively increase his number significantly to okay. a 98 because I don't oh. think anyone's going to get... We, we might have someone be a 99. We don't know. They might not even have existed yet. This podcast may go on for years. And we might be talking <laughs> about someone who literally ended the earth other than the method that which we're communicating through podcasts. But I'd like to retroactively raise Thomas Midgley Jr.'s rating from a 90 to a 98 given what we've rated people since. I'll allow it. Yeah, fuck yes. <laughs> we want him on a t-shirt as Mr. 98. That's as close as possible, especially as he knew. Um, but thank you for that, guys. So um, we've heard the tale of Avocado Wolf and Thor Blazer. That's just, <laughs> I, I love that sentence that I just said. Now we've got another guy coming up who ha- also has a nickname, but it's a little bit more, well, not even a nickname. Those were their fucking names. Uh, this, this guy has a nickname <laughs> that is a little bit more well-known a little bit more sensible and entirely more created to be insulting. I'd like to tell you the story of Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, <laughs> and the insane shit that has made up his life. Uh, it's a long one, folks. Settle in. Um, it's not all going to be baseball. I promise it will also be intrigue. So hang around for it. Pete Rose is a character. Oh, yeah, Pete... he is. <laughs> Fuck, yes. uh, Peter Edward Rose Sr., was born on April 14th, 1941 in Cincinnati, Ohio, one of four children born to Henry Francis Pete and Laverne Rose. Um, he was a member of the Order of Dalmoli as a young boy. I'm not even sure what that what is. What is that? Uh, some, is some it a secret society? Thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like the Hellfire Club. <laughs> um, and was encouraged by his parents to participate in sports, which is great because I mean, more parents should do that as long as it's not like torturous like right no like, hazing sports and stuff yeah, yeah like get them involved in sports activity is great for children especially with all that energy but 
don't like force them into it. Encourage right. them gently, you know. Yeah. Nurture that shit. Yeah, just do a little <laughs> shove. Yeah, not a shove, like, a, a nudge, a yes. gentle arm on the back, guiding them towards sports. And if you find the they're more inclined to something else, you know, just guide them into that. Don't be like, yeah. get out there, I'll fucking beat you. Yeah, Which is what Pete Rose's dad did. Um, he played and baseball and <laughs> really, yeah, I didn't know that. Mind you, that kind of makes just, sense now, just, given just, what we know. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> he Pete Rose played baseball and football at Western Hills High School. Although Rose was small for his age, he earned the starting running back position on his freshman football team. When he was not promoted to the varsity football team in his sophomore year, Rose was dejected and soon lost interest in his studies. Not football, his studies. Well, he had to train so, harder. Yeah, he was like, fuck that, I want to make the football team. Um, <laughs> at the end of the senior year, Rose's teachers decreed he would have to attend summer school or be held back. Because okay. he'd given up on his studies to the point where he'd just like fallen off the map completely. His father decided that it would be better for Pete to repeat a year of school than miss a summer playing baseball. Parenting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's that's a, good, that's a good parenting right there. You know, <laughs> as a baseball parent, <laughs> yes. I wish that I could say that it's surprising to hear that a, a baseball dad behaves that way but it's you know baseball dads kind of common oh that's sad yeah that's so sad but i mean i don't know it's it's a love force relationship sure yeah you know it's um it's a decision people have to make by themselves but if your kid is into it then help them but don't sacrifice they might not make it there's a fair chance that they won't make it don't sacrifice their future because you think they might be a starting pitcher for the Yankees, you know? Yeah. Um, at the end uh, at the end of the school year, Rose is to... Oh, I've already got to that part. Uh, <laughs> his father decided it would be better for him to play baseball during the summer. It would also give Pete an extra year to... He was like, oh, also added benefit, you can mature physically. Um, he was, at the time, five foot nine... And 150 pounds, um, which is basically me if he lo- if I lost 30 pounds. Um, he's <laughs> he's not. I've seen pictures of him from this age. He is not five foot nine. He's okay. five six if he's lucky. You know, like he's small. It seems kid. to be another like baseball yeah. parent thing. Yeah, like always two inches him. taller and five pounds heavier. Exactly. Yeah. Well, look, the camera adds ten pounds, so you can make it fifteen pounds every really well. <laughs> um, When Rose reached his senior year, he'd obviously already used up his four years of sports eligibility. In the spring of 1960, he joined the Class AA team sponsored by Frisch's Big Boy of Lebanon, Ohio, in the Dayton Amateur League. He played catcher, second base, and shortstop, and compiled an incredible .626 batting average. Um, I take it that's good even for minor leagues. Is that's, that what's that like? That's insane because it's like a ratio. Like I mean, right, that's yeah. the division of pitches like, your versus hits per, yeah, your yeah. at bats per hit. Christ, so, that's really that's good. huge. Like anything over like point two five. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, point two five seven is a f- fair hitter. That's that's amazing. <clears throat> so, I mean, obviously we're talking minor leagues here, but. He clearly yeah. had a pedigree, right? Point oh, yeah, six two six. That's a that's hella hitting. That's that's yeah. <laughs> that's a shitload. That's a very high percentage. Uh, this would have been the pinnacle of Rose's baseball career. 
if not for the help of his uncle, Buddy Blowbum. I think that's how that's pronounced. Blowbum was a bird dog scout for the Cincinnati Reds, and he play he pleaded the case of his nephew, the Reds, who had recently traded away a bunch of prospects apparently who ended up becoming huge stars uh decided to take a chance on p upon his graduation from high school rose signed a professional contract skipped the college thing straight to the majors well straight to the main league anyway yeah straight to the minors yep yeah straight to the minors basically he's just getting paid to play a game buddy yeah (laughs) which ain't bad i'm sure at that time he and he signed four peanuts i should stress his signing on bonus was five thousand dollars and I think he signed a contract for seven thousand dollars, which, like, in even in the sixties, that's not much of a wage for someone who is traveling around playing yeah. baseball in the minors. That's all, not Se- seven grand. He can buy a car, maybe. He can buy a car, maybe, maybe a house, <laughs> maybe food, potentially. Um, during the games, uh, so, yeah, maybe he he might even be able to afford human growth hormones who knows uh during a spring training game against the chicago white Sox in 1963 the reds regular second baseman don blassingame pulled a groin muscle and rose got his chance and made the most of it during another spring training game against the new york yankees whitey ford gave him the derisive nickname charlie hustle after rose sprinted to first base after drawing a walk Despite <laughs> or perhaps because of the manner in which Ford intended it, Rose ad- adopted the nickname as a badge of honor. In Ken Burns' documentary, Baseball, which is the only Ken Burns documentary I've not seen, I love his work, it's amazing. Um, Ford's teammate and best friend, Mickey Mantle, claimed that Ford gave Rose the nickname after Rose, playing in left field, made an effort to climb the fence to try to catch a Mantle home run that was about 100 feet over his head. I. <laughs> I want okay. to think that's the case. <laughs> I, I think either one of them are kind of yeah endearing. There, you know? I would say so. He, he's it's effort, you know, and it's the whole Rudy thing, isn't it? Like try so much harder, full heart, you know. Ooh, right, effort, yeah. You Everybody know? loves a guy with heart. Yeah, everyone loves a trier, and boy, did Pete Rose try hard at everything. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, apparently uh, Mantle, when he returned to the dugout, Ford said. Hey, Mick, did you see old Charlie Hustle out there trying to catch that ball? Dick, move, Whitey, you bastard. Uh, (laughs) Rose made his Major League debut on April the 8th, 1963, against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Crosley Field and drew a walk in his first plate appearance. That's that's pretty good. I mean, it's not an out. It's not an out. After going 11 and, uh, sorry, 0 0 for 11, Rose got his first major league hit on April 13th, a triple off Pittsburgh's Bob Friend. He hit .273 for the year and won the National League Rookie of the Year, collecting 17 out of 20 votes. That's a damn good rookie season. Yeah, yeah, well, .273, that's That's pretty good. Yeah, he's hitting well. He's getting on base. He's and he's causing havoc because he's a fucking lunatic when he runs for the bases. He will charge full force at the person behind the base no matter what they're doing. That's and that was his style. It's a way to be, it's a way to play, yeah. and it, it does good things. Like uh it does. Gosh, man, I seen my son drew a walk and did the, the Charlie Hustle thing. <laughs> the, the jog to the base. And then turned and ran to second and they didn't know what to do, so they threw it into the outfield. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. That's balls right there. Holy shit. And that's what hustle will get you. Yeah, it will. 
God bless your son. That's an amazing <laughs> move right there. Um, Rose entered the United States Army Reserve after the 1963 baseball season. He was assigned to Fort Knox, cushy gig, uh, for six months of active duty, followed by six years of attendance with the 478th Engineering Battalion of the USAR unit at Fort Thomas, Kentucky. At Fort Knox, he was uh, a platoon guide and graduated from the US uh, United States Army basic training on January 18th, 1964, one week before his marriage to, oh shit, Carolyn Englehard. I think that's how you say it. It's a okay. very Germanic name right there. <laughs> uh, Rose remained at Fort Knox to assist his sergeant in training the next platoon and to help another sergeant train the Fort's baseball team. Nice. Uh, oh, yeah, I see what's going on there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Later, he's he's a he's a fucking ringer. Later <laughs> in his Fort Thomas service, Rose served as a company cook, which entitled entailed coming in early for the one weekend slash month meeting, so that he could leave early enough to participate in the Reds home games. Um, other Reds players in the unit included Johnny Bench, Bobby Tolan, and Daryl Cheney. Um, all doing their bit and avoiding yeah. Nam. So, you know, smart. And creating an army baseball team. Yeah, the most invincible army baseball team you could possibly play against, surrounded by shitloads of gold. If you're going to um, win a war, yeah, you better have a damn baseball team. Yeah, you do. Full of ringers, just like MASH. <laughs> just get them in there and play hard. Um, uh, on April 23rd, 1964, road contest, Against the Houston Colt 45s, they named a team after a gun. Jesus. Or a malt liquor. Oh, yes. Uh, I didn't even think about that. It's I don't know which weapons, is worse. That's yeah, it's, <laughs> either's pretty fucking mad. Um, Rose reached first base on an error in the top of the ninth inning of a scoreless game and scored on another error. Colt 45s lost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Ken Johnson became the first pitcher to lose a complete game. No. Uh, no hitter. Oh, so, hey, so a team yeah. just did that. Did they? Is that is that like the second instance? There can't be too many of those. I th yeah. Gosh, now I, I'd have to look it up. That's but that's I, yeah. Just be remember rare, that just right? happened. He walked a yeah. uh, walked a run in. Yeah, that's that's kind of mad. Uh, Pete Rose is being followed by really interesting, weird statistics already early in his career, and it kind of gets weirder as his career goes on um rose slumped late in the season and was benched he finished with a 0.269 average in order to improve his batting average though rose played in <clears throat> the venezuelan winter league okay <laughs> with leones del caracas team during the 1964-65 offseason rose came back in 1965 leading the league in hits 209 and at bats 670 and finishing six I, I know <laughs> what was he doing and and finishing in nl mvp balloting is padding your numbers by fucking off to a different league normal is that i mean it's uh you go down get some practice in it's all yeah. batting practice at that point i guess so but like his numbers fucking i it's an ego boost. children it, uh i don't know probably i guess yeah, i mean maybe. i don't imagine that like a Venezuela. professional I, I don't know it it would be like an american trying to go play well no it would be like a it would be like when beckham came over here and played soccer i mean yeah yeah 
I hate to say it. Yeah, David Beckham was still an amazing player and he came over and he was like, oh, I got to sit in the sun and do what I enjoy at half effort. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Took me a minute and, to get there. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> uh, it was the first of his 10 seasons with 200 plus hitters and his uh, 0.312 batting average was the first of nine consecutive 0.30 seasons, uh, 300 seasons. That's amazing. He hit a career-high 16 home runs in 1966, then switched positions from second base to right field the following year. Again, I don't think it's... Is it massively common to shift positions as much as Pete Rose did? Um, um, I mean, infield moves around. From sure, yeah. like middle infield is kind of interchangeable. Right, uh, okay. They get sl- slower and older. Sometimes yeah. they'll go out into the outfield. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, and Pete Rose, we'll, we'll see that later on in his career. In 1968, Rose started the season with a 22-game hitting streak, missing three weeks, including the All-Star game with a broken thumb, and then had a 19-game hitting streak, streak late in the season. He had to finish the season 6-9 uh, for nine to beat out the Pirates' Matty Allo um, and win the first of two close uh, close. NL batting title races with a 0.335 average. He finished second to St. Louis Cardinal pitcher uh, Bob Gibson for the uh, MVP award, um, earning six first place votes. That's that's not bad at all. That's shit. Not bad for somebody that never be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, not bad for someone who's <laughs> five foot nine. Yeah, skipping summer school, <laughs> skipping school, playing baseball, fucking off to Venezuela for a few months. Um, in 1969, Rose set a career high in batting, 0.348, and tied his career best 16 homers. As the Reds' leadoff man, he hit uh, 218, walking 88 times and pacing the league in runs with 120. He hit 33 doubles, 11 triples, and drove in 82 runs, slugged 0.512, by far the highest mark of his uh, long career and had a 0.432 OBP. So also a career high. Yeah, that man got on base. He did, man, and he ran there every time. Uh, (laughs) Despite Pittsburgh's Roberto uh, Clemente uh, going uh, 3-4 in the final game, Rose's uh, 1-4 was enough for the title. Rose finished on 0.34 batting average. Clemente was uh, 0.345. So, so far, this underdog's career is going really, really well. Yes. Right? You'd say yes. so. And he's probably in himself another contract at this point. He's probably not getting paid peanuts. Um, Making that shift. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think this is kind of... Certainly what happens in 1970 is what you would consider the start of some of the shittier parts. Um, the 1970 All-Star Game. Brand new Riverfront Stadium had only been open for two weeks on July 14th, 1970, when Rose was involved in one of the most infamous plays in All-Star Game history. Facing the California Angels' Clyde Wright in the 12th inning, Rose singled and advanced to second on another single by the Los Angeles Dodgers' Billy... Oh, Jesus. Grabar Kowitz. Oh, fuck me. That's a long name. Sounds um, right. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, The Chicago uh, Cubs' Jim Hickman then singled sharply to center. Amos Otis, uh, through uh, throw, went past Cleveland Indians catcher 
Ray Fossey as Rose barreled over Fossey to score. Run him down. Fucking demolish the <laughs> poor guy. I've seen video footage. He, I mean, he does this thing where he like almost fakes that he's falling as he's running. So like okay. instead of just like running through, like he's doing that thing where, oh, I'm tripping. Like the kind of the fake stumble thing. He clatters into Fossey at like, and 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 the thing with Pete Rose, he is a stocky dude at this point. He's put on 50 pounds. It's that of, football of training. You got to get low. Yeah, exactly. He got low. <laughs> and instead of being 150 pounds at this point, he's 220. So he Ooh. is, he's a big fucking five foot nine. Uh, Fossey suffered a fractured and separated shoulder, which went undiagnosed until the next year. What the fuck, baseball? Get better doctors. Jesus. Yeah, um, what's wrong? Ah, rub some dirt on it. Really hurts. Really hurts. <laughs> Fossey continued to hit for um average and finished the season at point three oh seven, which with a separated shoulder is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, uh, that's but, not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> but with diminished power, he had sixteen home runs uh before the break, but only two afterwards. Woof. Um he played through the nineteen seventy-nine season, but never um approached nineteen seventy-nine. Wait, that's a jump. Nineteen seventy season, I go. Uh, but never approached his first year numbers. The collision co- also caused Rose to miss three games with a bruised knee. Didums. Um oh. <laughs> when asked why he did it, um Rose because Rose someone was like, Why the fuck did you do that? He said that his dad was sitting in the ground and watching him very carefully. And if his dad had seen him play like a sissy. He'd have beaten his ass, which Jesus. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's some fathering right there, that, son. That massive, massive yeah. manness. <laughs> Only real men end other men's careers. You'll thank me for this when you're older. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck me. <laughs> In 1973, Rose led the uh, league with 230 hits and a .338 batting average on route to winning the MVP award and leading the Big Red Machine to the 1973 National League Championship Series against the New York Mets, who probably lost because that's their thing. During the fifth, <laughs> I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm Welsh. I know that's their thing. Um, during the fifth inning of Game 3 of the series, Rose was on first base when Joe Morgan hit a double play uh, ball to Mets first baseman John Milner. Rose slid into second base in an attempt to break up the uh, double play. This incited a fight with Mets shortstop Bud Harrelson that resulted in a bench-clearing brawl. We love those. Yeah, those, those are fun. <laughs> Everybody throws down. It's great. When the Reds took the field, the game was nearly called off after the Shea Stadium crowd threw objects at Rose from the stands. The disruption caused Reds manager Sparky Anderson, what a fucking name, uh, <laughs> to pull his team off the field until order was restored. A probably sensible decision, because like eventually people are going to get their shit together right they're going to like oh we've run out of stuff to throw right we might as well sit down again um yeah. matt's uh, <laughs> met's manager yogi bearer and players willie mays tom siever uh, cleon jones and rusty Storb. what a, these names uh were summoned by nl uh president club F- uh, chubb feeney out to left field <laughs> to call this chubb feeney <laughs> to calm the stands down the reds ended up losing the game nine two geez and the NLC S three two, despite Rose's point three eight one batting average in the series, including his eighth inning home run to tie game one and his twelfth inning home run to win game four, um, 
is he like the second shortest person in history to start a riot behind like mm. Diego Maradona? Because that's essentially what happened, right? On field fight, people throwing shit on the field. Yeah. It's not good. I, he's, he's five nine. He's not short. It's not that. He's you know what's five, funny though? Nine. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's five six. He's, I well, mean he, nine. But yeah, <laughs> if if it falls the the other way around on the score, sheet, never mind. Uh, so the five nine two twenty is like what I am. Five nine, yeah, five nine two twenty is like that. As far as someone who could run like he did, I think it was five nine, maybe two ten to two twenty, maybe two twenty towards the end of his career. To run the way he did at that size is kind of impressive. He, how does he still have knees if he's like doing that shit? Yeah, <laughs> it's the football training again. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds of the nineteen seventies earned the nickname the Big Red Machine as one of the greatest teams in MLB history. Rose team included future Hall of Famers Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, and Tony Perez, and he was viewed as one of the league's uh, one of the club's leaders. Rose was a significant factor in the Reds' success in the 1975 and 76 season when he successfully moved from outfield to third base. Earlier in his career, the Reds and then-manager Don Hefner tried to force Rose to third base, but Rose chafed at the move, and it was soon abandoned, but apparently it worked eventually. Um, That's a a big difference in positions there. There's a lot of action at third base versus outfield there. I guess because he's like he's a low center of gravity. I guess it's difficult to get him off his feet. Maybe so might, might have some quick hands, quick. Yeah, hide. yeah, yeah. Sure, for sure. Um, in the spring of 1975, manager Sparky Anderson, knowing how Rose would react to being forced to move, instead asked him if he would do so for the good of the team. Rose immediately agreed. The move strengthened third base and helped solidify the Reds team for those two championship seasons because it made room for power-hitting outfielder George Foster. Um, Yeah. That's a smart move. Yeah, Yeah. that was a very smart move. In 1975, Rose earned World Series MVP honors in leading the Reds to their first championship since 1940, a seven-game triumph over the Boston Red Sox. Rose, uh, the curse of the Bambino. Uh, Rose led the team with 10 hits and a .370 batting average in the seven games. He was awarded the Hickok Belt as the top professional athlete of the year, as well as Sports Illustrated Magazine's Sportsman of the Year Award. Holy shit. He's on top of the world. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. That's like, I mean, I don't want to see a Sports Illustrated with Pete Rose on the front, but that's an achievement. You know, that's (laughs) Jesus. Um, it doesn't get much bigger than that, really, because that's like, I mean, obviously, you know, it's an American publication, but, you know, baseball at the time, I guess that's a, a massive achievement for Pete Rose, given the kind of athletes that were around in the mid to late 70s. That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. The following year, he was a major force in helping the Reds repeat as World Series champions. In 1976, the Reds swept the Philadelphia Phillies in the best of uh, th- best three of five NLCS. I have to be careful with that followed by a four-game sweep of the Yankees in the World Series. Wow. That is a good year. Sweep. Yeah. <laughs> Swept them aside. In 76, club remain, uh, the, club, uh, the 1976 club remains the only team since the expansion of the playoffs in 1969 to go undefeated in the postseason. And the Reds franchise has, uh, has not lost a World Series game, uh, sorry, game since Game 6 in 1975, wins in game seven in 1975 and four game sweeps in 1976 and 1990. That's, that's kind of amazing. Really? Yeah. Uh, they get there, they win. 
her, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, on May, let's move on. So, uh, oh, no, that, that's this is important. On May 5th, 1978, <laughs> I was going to skip this. Pete Rose became the 13th player in Major League history to garner his 3,000th hit Ooh. um when he singled off Montreal Expos pitcher Steve Rogers in front of 37,283 fans at home field at Riverfront Stadium Montreal Expos at Cincinnati Reds box score May 5th 1978 doesn't get much better than that although it does for him because he keeps on hitting this guy did not he age. A player. Yep. He is a player. I mean, he's <clears throat> what, 13 seasons into his professional career at this point, and he's still going strong. Like yes. that that's yep. kind of amazing that he is seemingly ageless at this point. I mean, he's still batting 0. 0.30 for the, the season. It's just incredible. Yeah. Well, you get to you get to think though, he's gotta be starting to feel it there. I would, I, you would imagine, yeah. But I guess I don't know. Like I guess smaller guys feel it less. I don't know. Man. I always thought smaller guys' knees fell apart quicker. But he may have masked it with alcohol. Ah, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> and potentially other substances that we'll get to later. The Philadelphia Phillies um, is where he moved to in 1979. They'd won the uh, National League East three years running, uh, 76 to 77, uh, 78 two of which were won with 101 win seasons. Wow. But they were unable to make the World Series. They just couldn't get over that hump. Uh, yeah. That's that's typical of a lot of teams. They just always can't quite get there, you know, in every sport. In 79, yeah. the Phillies believed that Rose was the player who could bring them over the top, and they temporarily made him the highest-paid athlete in team sports. Fucking hell. When they signed him to a four-year, 3.2 million dollar contract as a free agent with perennial all-star mike schmidt firmly entrenched at third rose made the final position change of his career when he moved to first base which man this guy's been all over the fucking field at this point um adjusted for inflation by the way that uh contract is around 12 million dollars yeah today. i was gonna say three, that's three million dollars that's a signing bonus these yeah, days. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the economics of baseball have changed significantly since then. Just a smidge. Um, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but man, man, I, I guess like $3.2 million in the late 70s, early 80s, especially like with the econ the economy, the way it was at the time, uh, it wasn't exactly the strongest at this point. Um, that's, a, that's a good old paycheck right there. I must have been living the high life. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, well in the eighties and late seventies. That's a dangerous time to be rich. Oh yeah, yeah. You might get jacked anywhere <laughs> you go. So um, especially if you're in New York. Holy shit, New York in the late seventies. That was Philly? a dangerous place. Philly. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't. Even, I forgot about that. Just stay near the bell. You'll be fine. Um, although the Phillies missed the postseason in Rose's first season with the team, they earned three division titles. One in the first uh, of the one in the first half. Of the strike shortened the 81 season, two World Series appearances, and the first World Series title in 1980 in the following four years. So it worked. This excessive gamble on Pete Rose, who was aging at this point, worked a treat. Um, and it did. That, yeah. And <laughs> this is where the slump 
comes in. Um, Pete Rose had the worst career of his, uh, the worst season of his career in 1983, which was also the season that the Phillies played in their second World Series in four years. The now 42 year old Pete Rose batted, I love this, only 2.45. I don't think that's good. It's that's still good for a, especially for a forty-two-year-old. Yeah, I'm just thinking how bad I feel, and I'm forty-one. I know, me too. Like I'm (laughs) forty-one. I need to be asleep by like ten. You know, and this guy's fucking smashing them out of the park still to a certain extent. (laughs) One hundred and twenty-one hits, and found himself benched during the latter part of the nineteen eighty-three season when he appeared periodically to play a pinch hit, pinch hitter. Okay. So Rose did blossom as a pinch hitter, though, with eight hits in 21 at bats, uh, a 3.81 average at a 42. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fucking crazy. And, and uh, we, we should stress, like, 42 isn't old, but at this in this era, 42 is fucking ancient. Um, yeah. Because professional athletes uh, in various fields, it depends really on the sport because baseball's largely largely anaerobic it's bursts of power right whereas something like soccer nobody is playing at the top level as 42 because it's aerobic you have yeah. to be running for 90 fucking minutes His lungs non-stop. are falling out by that yeah point. your lungs are coming out of your mouth for 42 <laughs> whereas um yeah like uh i guess a 42 year old it's like a burst of power so i guess especially if you're small low center of gravity quite a big guy that kind of works Really? Yeah. So I I can see it it's carrying on. Yeah. yeah. And also the like, designated but, hitters. Yeah. And I feel like the, the dietary, it's like athletes now are very well catered for in terms of diet and care, injury, treatment, stuff like that. Definitely wasn't the case in the late 70s. No. These people were pounding the beers in the Dude. locker room. They were doing doing rails in the bathroom at the disco. Yes, they were. <laughs> Pete Rose was as well, um, but he's still <laughs> smashing them out of the park. Rose bounced back uh, during the postseason, though, batting a 3.75, 6 for 16 during the NLCS against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and a point three one two five for 16 in the World Series against the Baltimore Orioles. Rose went 1 for 8, in the two games in the in Baltimore and was benched for the get for game three in Philadelphia, though he grounded out in a pinch hitting appearance. So it's, it's not bad. That's not bad. Rose yeah. objected to manager Paul Owen's decision to bench him in the pregame interview with Howard Cassell of ABC Sports. Man, Howard Cassell has gotten yeah. so much shit over the years. <laughs> so many people have threatened to punch this man. I don't know what he's doing wrong, but Vince McMahon nearly killed him. It's just um, it's the it's the face. Some people have a punchable he, face. He has a punchable face. Oh, or did <laughs> uh, Rose bounce back with uh, four hits in the last seven at bats in the remaining two games? Though the Phillies lost the series to the Orioles four games to one, so it's pretty pretty serious beating. Next year, he signed for the Montreal Expos. Rose was granted an unconditional release from the Phillies in October 1983. Probably like the relationship between him and the manager had broken down at that point. Um, Philly's manager wanted to retain Rose for the 1984 season, but he refused to accept a more limited playing role. He still felt he could go. Months later, he signed a one-year contract with the Montreal Expos. Also should be noted that uh, this is probably one of those, I'm getting remarried. I need to kind of, yeah, this is around about the time of his second marriage. Okay. So he needs that that wedding money, you know, gotcha. that, that kind of that alimony money. <laughs> 
So yeah, this is probably a smart move for that re- that that reason alone. Um, on April thirteenth, nineteen eighty-four, the twenty-first anniversary of his first career hit, Rose doubled off Phillies Jerry Koosman for his four thousandth career hit and became the second player in the four thousand hit club, joining Ty Cobb. Yeah, God, that's amazing. <laughs> Rose played 95 games with the Expos, accumulating 72 hits, 23 RBIs, with a batting of 2.59. He's like in his mid 40s, and he's, he's still doing his own. okay. Yeah. You know? Um, on August 15th, 1984, he was traded back to the Reds uh, for infielder Tom Lawless. Um, upon rejoining the Reds, Rose was immediately named player manager, which. Okay, it's kind of fucking mad. Um, <laughs> replacing Vern Rapp, which oh man, that's that's a great name as well. Despite his <laughs> two point five nine average for the season prior to joining the Reds, he hit 0.365 for the Reds in twenty six games with thirty five hits, eleven RBIs, finishing with a two point uh, sorry a point two eight six overall average, uh, a forty one point difference over the eighty three season. That's so he Amazing. got better. I know. That, he, he got better with age. It's incredible. He hit like a plateau and just stayed there and got slightly better over time. Well, Furthermore, Colin. Rose managed the Reds to a 19-22 and 22 record for the remainder of the season, though the role was once common. To date, Rose is the last person to serve as a player manager in the major leagues. That's kind of amazing. I mean, I guess like the it's game's moved tough on. to do. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a tough job. I mean, there are still occasionally player managers in professional soccer, but it's really rare these days. It's such a, a machine. It would be, be yeah. It'd be so hard to keep your head where oh, it yeah. needs to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's incredibly rare these days. It used to happen a lot more in the early two thousands, but now it's like, you have to be some fucking player to get <laughs> that position. You have to be Pele, um, you know, prime Pele to be able to do that in this day and age. Um, so it was, uh, it has been suggested. Um, what so say? Major League uh, Baseball continues to recognize Cobb's final hit total as four thousand one hundred and ninety-one, though independent research has revealed two of Cobb's hits were counted twice. That's interesting. Um, it was suggested because of this that Rose actually broke Ty Cobb's record against uh, the Cubs' Reggie Patterson with a single in the first of the Reds' five-five called game against Chicago on September the eighth. ABC's Wild World of Sports named Rose its Athlete of the Year that year because Rose broke Cobb's record. Rose accumulated a total of 4,256 hits before his career at bat, um, before his final career at bat, a strikeout against San Diego's uh, Rich Gossage on August 17th, 1986. That is a long-ass career. It's a hell of a career, yes. Yeah. And here's something that may have helped it. In 2010, Deadspin reported Rose used cork bats during the 1985 uh, season in pursuit of Cobb's record. You're going to have to explain to me, A, what that is, and B, how it helps. So, uh, cork bat is a bat that's been drilled out and filled mm. with cork mm. down the center. It gives it more pop. Uh, a lot oh, of the okay. times... When a, like a player comes out for batting practice before the game and the crowds are kind of gathering, they'll use the cork bat to just crank home runs because you can right. really get the ball out of the out of the park with them. I didn't know uh, that. Sammy That's... Sosa got busted for that. 
He was in a yeah, amongst in other things. <laughs> yeah, Sammy Sosa is a weird guy. Look at recent <laughs> pictures of him. He 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 is kind of a bit of a mess these days. Uh, pardon me. Uh, so yeah, and they they claimed that he was doing that. Two sports memorabilia collectors who owned Rose's game used bats from the season had the bats X-rayed and found the telltale signs of corking. Rose had previously denied using cork bats. That's going to become his thing. Denial. In the coming years, um, in a report for ESPN magazine, it was noted that Rose had associated with Tommy Giosia. Giosia. Okay. A manager at Gold's Gym uh, that Rose worked out at with uh, in suburban Cincinnati. This guy sold steroids the entirety of the 80s. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Friends happen to sell steroids. You know, it's, it's not guilt by association or anything. It's, no, no, it's just no, no, it's just a coincidence. I mean, maybe uh, if he was hitting, you know, point, like you know, if he was hitting over three hundred. Yeah, maybe. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, sure, Wait. sure. Yeah, for numerous seasons. Uh, <laughs> amazingly, his heart hasn't exploded yet, but you know, there's, there's still time because his bats were lighter. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he had uh, first met Rose in the uh, 1978 in spring training and befriended him. He became a companion and runner to Rose over the next six years before introducing Rose to his gym in 1984. Just kind of, you know, you'd think that would be the first thing you'd do, right? Pete Rose reportedly had thought about taking a shot to help his bat speed near the end of his career, but told Gio Yosa that it was uh, too late to hear, to try something new. Mm. Nah, he's, so he's gonna go with uh can't can't juice old dogs into new tricks. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> uh, attempts to tell Rose about dealing in the gym fell on dead ears. No, sure. Uh, the guy was later noted as one of the individual uh, Rose made his bets with, along with later convicted of conspiracy to sell a hundred and ten pounds of cocaine. In the Ohio, Kentucky, uh, Indiana area, alongside a false tax return that included claiming a winning gambling ticket that had actually been Pete Rose. Jesus fucking Christ, Pete! Uh oh, pick your friends better. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a lot of shit. Like first of all, the steroids thing. You're like, uh, gym steroids that happens, and then like, uh, tax I'm not gonna invasion. Say it was the mob. Yeah, <laughs> starting to, I mean, it's right area, right time, right starting game. to sound a bit fishy, right game, starting to sound super fishy. Um, on the 11th of November 1986, Rose was dropped from the Reds 40 man roster to make room for pitcher Pat Pasillo. Pasillo? Pacillo? I, I, I don't, I'm not recognizing the name. I'm a bad baseball fan. Well, he can't be that good <laughs> if, if you don't remember him. And he unofficially retired as a player. Rose finished his career with a number of major league and national league records that have lasted for many, many years. Rose, always proud of his ability to hit 0.30 or better in 15 of his 24 playing seasons, had a lifetime 0.303 batting average, which for such a long career kind of amazing. After retiring as a player, Rose remained with the Reds as manager until August 24th, 1989 with a career record of 426 to 388 as a manager. Rose ranks fifth in Reds history for career managerial wins. That's pretty good. Yeah. 
that's as a, decent. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Cincinnati Reds are not quite the force that they were in the mid seventies, but that's a decent average, forty six to three eight seven. That's yeah. you know could be far yeah. worse, especially for someone who was first and foremost a player. You know, right. and you know that's that's kind of not no tactician or technician or anything like that. Just a really good player. During Pete Rose's four full seasons at the helm, 1985 to 88, the Rhodes, uh, the Ro- Reds posted four second-place finishes in the NL West Division. During the mid-1990s, there were reports that yet-to-be-named uh, New Orleans franchise of the United Baseball League, UBL, which was planned as a third major league, had offered Rose $500,000 a year to serve as manager. That's not bad. It's a wow. shame it didn't happen. That's not bad, is it? I wonder what would have happened if they would have expanded because I know the game is yeah. different these days, but uh, oh, yeah. we can I'll wander on to that later. Yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> an interesting because like obviously MLB, I, I I know that there were attempts to kind of uh, re, like there was competition, but that's man. Well, that's... this well in this this year too, they had the strike yeah. or the lockout again, so there's constantly that teetering on not having baseball anymore everybody complains how slow it is and mm. um yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing to me that there were ever challenges to the mlb because that's kind of the only name we really know in this country for non-fans so we know major league baseball that's it so i feel like it could use a little bit of oh, yeah. competition though competition is extremely healthy especially for something that dominates as much as that. Now let's talk about his 30-day suspension. On oh, April the 30th, 1988, during a home run, uh, home game against the New York Mets, with two out of the uh, sorry, with two out in the top of the ninth, Mookie Wilson, that's not a real name. Yeah, it is. Mookie <laughs> Wilson, oh my god, hit what looked like a routine ground ball to the shortstop, but the throw to the first base was wide and pulled the first baseman's foot off the bag. Umpire Dave Poloni uh, didn't immediately call the safe. Uh, didn't immediately make the safe call, and the first baseman waited for the call instead of making a play at the plate, allowing Howard Johnson to score all the way from second base with what had turned what turned out to be the game-winning run. Rose vehemently argued and call uh, argued the call and forcefully pushed the umpire twice with his shoulder and forearm, knocking Poloni several feet backwards. Maloney promptly ejected Rose. As touching an umpire is grounds for immediate ejection, which is probably a good thing because some of those people are fucking oh. terrible at their jobs. Well, um, it makes for the, the fun stuff where they turn their hat backwards and yell yeah, at each other, like kick dirt, dirt at each other, <laughs> spit in their direction and stuff. As far Rose had to be forcefully forcibly restrained by his coaches as he beca- uh, as he came back at Poloni. He claimed Poloni had initiated the physical contact and could be seen in the footage of the incident pointing to his cheek, attempting to explain to umpire Eric Gregg that Poloni had poked him in the face. In his book, Poloni wrote an entire chapter on the incident and said that he didn't touch Rose and the National League personnel who investigated the incident later agreed with him. It's unlikely that you'd piss off pete rose really even in the heat of the moment i don't think anyone's that stupid are they you know so poke him right in the cheek just right there um (laughs) that's that's one way (laughs) you i think you'd see that right there are cameras everywhere 
Um, in the time it took, yeah, in the time it took to remove Rose from the field, this took time apparently. Cincinnati fans began showering the field with objects that included radios and cigarette lighters. Christ alive! <laughs> you know, f- for as as much as baseball fans, myself included, like to think that it's a, a civilized, yeah. um, <laughs> polite. Yeah, gentlemen's game. Sport. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we sure throw shit on the field a lot. Yeah. Lighters, radios, batteries, dead animals. Just oh. throw all that shit on there. Disco <laughs> records. Just throw it all on the pitch. Um, even though the inning was not over, everybody retreated to the dugouts. Reds owner Marge shot. Fucking hell. Um, posted a message on the electronic billboards asking fans to stop throwing objects onto the field. That's not going to work. Why please, do they do that? Please stop. Please, can we please stop? Like when people go on the pitch. Was well, I, I quoted the the base, the uh, disco riot at the... Uh, oh, God, what was that thing where they exploded the disco records back in the late 70s? Uh, fans invaded the pitch. I can't remember. This is in Chicago. And the owner was like, get off the pitch. Everybody get off the pitch. We're having another game. And then um, the idea came across them to sing, let's all go to the ball game and then ask people (laughs) to get off the pitch. (laughs) And it didn't work, surprisingly, because they were having too much fun setting fire to things. Um, Uh. uh, Baseball owners. (laughs) After a 15-minute suspension of play, Poloni left the field and the game was completed with the remaining three umpires. National League President A. Bartlett Giamatti suspended Rose for 30 days, which was the longest suspension levied for an on-field incident involving a manager. He was also fi- he also fined Rose a substantial amount. The amount was never de- disclosed. Giamatti said such incidents are not business as usual and will not be allowed to become so. Giamatti also summoned the Reds' on-air radio announcers, Marty Bren- Brenneman and Joe Nuxham, to his office in New York and chastised them for inciting the fans. Uh, the fans' <laughs> they response. Were within, them up. They were like, fucking throw more radios, throw me at them. Uh, inflammatory and completely irresponsible remarks. That's funny. That's really funny. Uh, Giamatti told Brenneman and Nuxall there's no excuse for encouraging a situation where the physical safety and well being of any individual is put significantly at risk. Nothing justifies such unprofessional behavior. Naughty boys. <laughs> Naughty boys. <laughs> Slap on the wrist for you. Uh, now here comes the big one. The one Uh-oh. that Pete Rose is known for. Uh-huh. Amid reports that he had bet on baseball, Rose was informally questioned in uh, February 1989 by Commissioner of Baseball, Pete, oh Jesus, Uwe Baroth. Uwe Baroth. U-E-B-E Double R O T H U A broth. Uwe broth. Sure. Whatever. whatever. I feel bad that I don't know this, yeah. but this is like I was a little kid then. Yeah. And the, I the names suck at cr- baseball history. Yeah, the names are crazy as well. And NL president Bart Giamatti. Rose, with his lawyer present, had stated that he had bet on football, basketball, and horse racing, but vehemently denied the allegations of betting on baseball. I only bet on everything else. Not baseball. <laughs> I bet on my son's christening, whether he was going to cry. I bet on my second marriage failing, but not baseball. God damn it. <laughs> By this time, the MLB owners had elected Giamatti to succeed Uberoth, who sounds like a member of Guar, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are going to be people out there who are like, what the fuck is Guar? Uh, man. They, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the greatest a big weird suit. metal band of all time. <laughs> Just fucking I, guys wearing favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies ever is empire records with yes yeah where he goes in with gua and gets eaten yes i know the scene i've seen that film a lot gua amazing go Uh. and listen to gua (laughs) um and the outgoing commissioner decided to leave the matter to be dealt with by his successor classy um in the meantime sports illustrated gave the public their first detailed report of the allegations that rose had placed bets on baseball games on March 21st, 1989, in the cover story of the issue dated April 3rd, 1989. Giamatti assumed office as the seventh commissioner of baseball on April 1st. That's an omen. Three days later, lawyer John M. Dowd was retained to investigate the charges against Rose. Dowd interviewed Rose, uh, many of Rose's associates, including alleged bookies and bet runners. Oh, Jesus. He delivered a summary of his findings to the commissioner in May. In it, Dowd documented Rose's alleged gambling activities in 1985 and 86 and compiled a day-by-day account of Rose's alleged batting, uh, betting on baseball games in 1987. The Dowd report documented alleged bets on 52 Reds games in 1987 citing Rose wagering a minimum of $10,000 a day, whereas others have been like, no, that's an exaggeration. It was only two grand. That's almost half the season. I know, and that's a (laughs) shitload of money. What the fuck are you doing? Um, Rose uh, continued to deny all the allegations against him and refused to appear at a hearing with Giamatti on the matter. That's not smart. He filed a lawsuit in Hamilton County Court of Common Pleas, the Ohio State Trial Court covering Cincinnati, alleging that the commissioner had prejudiced, uh, sorry, prejudged the case and could not provide a fair hearing. The Court of Common Pleas issued a temporary restraining order to delay the hearing, but Giamatti sought to remove the case to the federal United States District Court for the Southern District of Ohio. Jesus. Big the time. Dist- yeah. <laughs> the Southern District of Ohio granted Giamatti's removal petition. The parties thereafter entered settlement negotiations at, at, as the federal court, whose judges were lifetime appointees and whose jurisdiction included large areas where the Reds were less popular, was seen as a less favorable forum for Rose that a state court covering only Cincinnati and its immediate environs and whose judges faced election every six years. So do not go to federal court, basically, or you are doomed. Right. You're, you're <laughs> going to end up like he did. Yeah. And that's what happened. Aftermath. On August 24th, 1989, Rose voluntarily accepted a permanent place on baseball's ineligible list. Rose accepted that there was a factual reason for the ban. In return, Major League Baseball agreed to make no formal finding with regarding the gambling allegations. According to baseball's rules, uh, rules, Rose could not apply for reinstatement in one year, By Bart, but Bart Giamatti said there is absolutely no deal for reinstatement. That is exactly what we did not agree in terms of a fixed number of years. Rose, with a 412 to 373 record, was replaced as Reds manager by Tommy Hearns. Rose began therapy with a a psychiatrist for treatment of a gambling (laughs) addiction. No shit. And also, Rose became ineligible for the MLB Hall of Fame. A massive blow to him privately. That must have really hurt because he is, despite everything, he is one of the best players of all time. Yes. Certainly the best player in any professional sport 
to not be allowed in the Hall of Fame, I think. And I mean, I, I go back and forth on whether or not I think that it's it's warranted too. Me too. Having it's cork excessive bat, steroids, coke, yeah, alcohol, smacking folks, like yeah, all of that fights. Yeah, so, yeah. I feel like Pete Rose came around at a time when maybe <laughs> scandals were less common. Um, yeah, or like certain things were more acceptable before society's changed, and I feel his punishment is excessive. I feel like it's gone on enough, and I think he's been punished enough at this point. Let the poor man on the fucking field, you know. Yeah, he, and um, Giamatti died of a heart attack on September the first, nineteen eighty-nine, eight days after announcing Rose's suspension. That's. Uh... Quite an exit right there. You're fucked, mate. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. I'm dead. Uh, tax evasion. On April 20th, 1990. It's getting better and better for Pete Rose. Pete Rose entered a guilty plea to two charges of filing false income tax returns for not showing income he received from selling autographs and memorabilia and from horse racing winnings. Um oh. I guess it's harder to keep track of that second thing, though, right? Like, he must lose a lot as well. Like, how do you know if you're up or down? If I you're don't know. I guess if you're gambling enough, yeah. then, yeah. I mean, you get, the, that's the thing, is they'll take the record when they pay you out enough. Yep. So there's mm -hmm. a record that the IRS has that you want it, but yeah. not necessarily unless you keep your records. Is there a tracking of your losses? So I That's guess you could kind of gotten screwed there. Yeah, I mean it. It kind of. I guess it's another thing where uh, retain a, an a, an accountant and send them everything. Yes, basically, yeah. send them everything. Uh, all your expenses, all your losses, all your earnings. Just send it to them. They will deal with it. They'll even write their own fee off against tax. Um, on the 19th of July, Rose was sentenced to five months in the medium security prison camp at the United States Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois, and fined $50,000. Um, he was released on January the 7th, 1991, after having paid $366,041 in back taxes and interest and was required to perform a thousand hours of community service. That also feels a bit harsh. A little but... bit. Don't fuck with Uncle Sam's taxes because they'll make sure you go in with Capone in, in that <laughs> instance. In 1999, Rose was selected as an outfielder on the Major League Baseball All-Century team. To select the team, a panel of experts first compiled a list of the 100 greatest players for the past century. Fans then voted on the players using paper and online ballots. Um, and an exception was made to his ban to allow him to participate in the pre-game introduction of the All-Century team before Game 2 of the 1999 World Series between the Braves and the Yankees. Despite never having been a member of the Braves, Rose received the loudest ovation of the All-Century team members from the crowd at Turner Field in Atlanta, Georgia. Ted Turner loves naming shit after himself. <laughs> after the ceremony on live television, NBC's Jim Gray rep repeatedly asked Rose if he was ready to admit on betting on baseball and apologize. Many people were outraged at Gray's aggressive questioning, feeling that it detracted from the ceremony. That is not the time or place yeah. for that kind of question. It's, it's like a sneak attack. Yeah, I like. 
I get why he's doing it, but there is a time for journalism and a time for just like allowing the reverence to happen. Right. You know, yeah. Just let people have their moment, especially with Pete Rose. Like the first time he's been allowed since his ban, just let him go. In protest um, at this aggressive questioning, Yankees outfielder Chad Curtis refused to speak to Gray with his um, after his game-winning home run in Game Three earlier that season. Rose had been ranked at number twenty-five on the Sporting News's list of the one hundred greatest baseball players of all time. In 2002, Rose again appeared in the 2002 uh, World Series in a MasterCard-sponsored event, recalling baseball's most memorable moments. Fan vo- fans voted Rose record-breaking hit over Ty Cobb as the sixth most memorable moment in baseball history. Even after his 2004 admission of gambling, Rose had described his violation of MLB rules with what journalist Costia Kennedy described as a kind of swagger that familiar screw you defiance that kind of <laughs> typical Pete Rose. Um, on September the 11th, 2010, however, at a roast of Pete Rose at the Hollywood Casino in Lawrenceburg in Indiana on the 25th anniversary of his 4,192nd hit uh, an attendance by teammates, Rose wept while acknowledging he had disrespected baseball. He apologized to Perez and the other members of the Big Red Machine, stating, I guarantee everyone in this room, I will never disrespect you again. I love the fans. I love the game of baseball. I love Cincinnati baseball. His words and crying surprised those present. Cincinnati Inquirer reporter said, it felt completely unscripted, completely sincere, and very powerful. I had covered Rose for more than 25 years. I hadn't even heard, I hadn't ever heard him like that. That's nice. Right. But yeah. Give it, give, let him off. Now, this, this <laughs> is enough. This is enough. And now, one of my favorite parts Pete Rose, between 1998 and 2000, Rose appeared at World Wrestling Federation's now WWE annual WrestleMania pay per view in what became a running gag. At WrestleMania 14, he served as guest ring announcer during a match between Kane and The Undertaker, before which Kane came into the ring grabbed him by the throat, picked him up, and gave him a tombstone pal driver um, (laughs) because Kane was nicknamed the Big Red Machine. For the next year's WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania 15, Rose was portrayed as seeking revenge. To do so, he dressed as the San Diego Chicken and attacked (laughs) Kane before his scheduled match, only to take another tombstone. He returned for a third time the following year at WrestleMania 2000, but again was thwarted by Kane as well as Rikishi, his tag team partner that night. In addition, to the, so uh, he got a choke slam that time, and then Rikishi stuck his big fat ass right into <laughs> Pete Rose's face and did the thong thing beforehand. He had a giant ass; it was terrifying. In addition to these three appearances, he appeared in a Halloween-themed commercial for WWE's No Mercy event in 2002 and was choke slammed by Kane. In 2004, Rose was inducted into the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2004. He was, um, I I just have to, so he was inducted. Later on that same night, Bobby the Brain Heenan was inducted. Bobby Heenan had just beaten throat cancer. Now, he was one of the greatest talkers in wrestling history. He was also hilarious. Bobby Heenan hadn't been in front of a live crowd in years because obviously it destroyed his vocal capability. Right. He was 
mercilessly ripping Pete Rose to shreds. And Pete Rose was loving it. And he said, <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. I can't help it, okay? I can't help myself sometimes. I even bet on wrestling. And Pete Rose just burst out <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and the whole place just was floored by it. It was amazing. And actually, just a few years after that, Bobby Heenan passed away from cancer again. So that's like the lasting memory of Bobby Heenan is like making a room full of people, including Pete Rose, laugh while That's he rips stuff. the shit out of Pete Rose. That's really good. <laughs> um, in uh, so we mentioned that he was Chokeslam in 2004. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, and he was inducted uh, at the ceremony by Kane. On the 23rd, uh, 22nd of March 2010, he was the guest host of Raw, which was the last episode of Raw before WrestleMania uh, 26. At his first order of business, he set up a match between Shawn Michaels and Kane which Michaels won. Later that night, Kane attacked Pete Rose off screen. Just the, this poor <laughs> bastard is just getting battered every time he appears. Did Rose he get was, slammed or tombstone? I think he's too old at that point to batter him like that. Uh, Br- Rose was briefly, this is my favorite one, Rose was briefly mentioned on a WWE television program again on August the 27th, 2012, in an anger management se- uh, segment between Kane and Daniel Bryan, who were a tag team at the time, Kane was asked by a psychiatrist what his problems were. And Kane stated, for reasons never quite explained, I have an unhealthy obsession with torturing Pete Rose. Rose was later (laughs) interviewed on WWE.com about his uh, experiences with Kane's anger. He uh, he said it was very, very painful to be chokeslammed. So that's kind of like why he he was like, I'm old now. Please leave me alone. Um, (laughs) Now we get on to the final part, and it's probably one of the more controversial things. Pete Rose's private life. Rose married Carolyn Engelhert on January 25th, 1964. And the couple had two children, daughter Fawn and son Pete Rose Jr. The couple divorced in 1980. Um, Pete Rose was a, we should start this off. He's a notorious poon hound. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Pete Rose liked the ladies, and he could not stop chasing them, ever. He and seems to have an addictive personality. He does. Alcohol, women, betting, and getting choke slammed. He just can't stop. <laughs> in 19, uh, sorry, in 1978, a paternity suit was filed naming Rose as the father of Morgan Erin Rubio. In a 1996 settlement of the lawsuit, Rose acknowledged that Rubio was his daughter. Rose was ma- Rose married his uh, second wife, Carol J. Wallian Walliung, in 1984. They had uh, two children, son Tyler and daughter Cara, who was born two days before Rose's banishment from the MLB. Rose filed for divorce from Carol in March 90, uh, in March 2011. Jesus. The nineties, the sixty-nine year old Rose cited irreconcilable differences for the split, but his petition did not offer any conditional details. Rose did not include a date for their separation. Documents in the filing say that Rose is looking to acquire all memorabilia and possessions before his marriage, so he knows where his bread is buttered, because that shit's worth money. While separating from his second wife, Rose began an open relationship with Kiana Kim, a Playboy model. Ah. Okay, uh, of course. During a 2009 <laughs> interview, Rose discussed his relationship with Kim, stating, "My girl has finally decided to try to shoot for Playboy, and they were kind enough to give her an opportunity to come to Houston for an interview, and we're excited about this." That's fucking gross, Pete. Get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> a 2013 reality show called Rose uh, Pete Rose Hit and Misses 
you see what they did there? Uh, <laughs> following the life of Rose and Kim and his two stepchildren, Cassie and Ashton, premiered on TLC because, of course, it premiered on TLC uh, on January 14th, 19, uh, 2013. Uh, Rose and Kim have been engaged since 2011 they appeared on a national sketches commercial which had during the Choose? 2014 super bowl i know he's, he's still making bank okay Dude can make money well, wait now hold on how old is the kim lady here because this he's when did yeah. she shoot for playboy Let, is it an old lady playboy uh no not Keanu... to be like body shaming or anything but kiana kim was born a year before we were. So Pete Rose was born in 1942. He's about 38 years older than her. Oh, he's an entire Jesus. man old enough to know better older than her. <laughs> yes, that's fucked up, man. Uh, yeah, she's 40 and uh, 42. Sorry. And yeah, Pete Rose is what? 900 or something. Jesus. That's. Uh, that's fucked God. up. Mind <laughs> you, Playboy model, uh, you know, 69. God, I think she's age, young God enough to him. be his daughter's daughter. Daughter, yes. Fuck, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh my God, that's just, uh, um, <laughs> two of Rose's children have lived public lives. Cara was, uh, has worked as a television actress, appearing as a regular in the first season of the soap opera Passions and playing a, recur a recurring role on Melrose Place. She uses the stage name Chia Courtney, like a cheer hmm. pet. Like one of those <laughs> things. That's right. I Why never Chia? watched that show. So. No, neither did I. It was huge, though. You remember, like, in the 90s? Like, that shit was... Dude, people behind... loved it. Oh, God. It, it was so popular. I, I never understood why. His yeah. older son, Pete Rose Jr., spent 16 years as a minor league baseball player, advancing to the majors once for an 11-game stint with the Cincinnati Reds, of all people, in 1997. Dude, imagine uh, trying to overcome that shadow, that, that name. That is not happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just change your name yeah. entirely. There's the, you know, there's a reason Duncan Jones is not called Zoe Bowie anymore. He's directing <laughs> films under Duncan Jones because he does not want to live in the shadow of his father. You know? Yeah. That's that's never a recipe for success. See, Pete Rose whole same name. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Pete Rose was referenced in the lyrics of the song Zanzibar originally released by Billy Joel in 1978 on the 52nd Street album. Rose, he knows he's such a credit to the game, but the Yankees grab the headlines every time. In a later live performances instead of singing Rose being a credit to the game, Joel jokes that he will never make the Hall of Fame. That's harsh. Oh, <laughs> sick burn. Although he he modified this to Hall of Popularity during a concert in Cincinnati. You fucking kiss ass, Billy Joel. Uh, yeah. So he's still trying to dog on him and kiss his ass at the same time. <laughs> I know. He's like, I don't want to riot in this, in this part of the country. I'll never make it out alive. Uh, uh, wow. As of March 2014, that's quite old, uh, Rose, Rose earns more than $1 million annually from paid public appearances and autograph signings. These include appearances in Copperstone, New York, around the time of the Hall of Fame induction week each, week each year. Although Rose does not stay at the Otisaga Resort Hotel with other baseball people and cannot attend the ceremonies, many fans gather for his autograph, which is, gra which is great. He also yeah. charges $5,000 to go out to lunch with you and you are picking up the tab 
Um, so you feed him, but you get the privilege of sitting next to Pete Rose while he stuffs his face for an hour and a half. Oh, man. $5,000 per lunch. Why do I feel like he could eat, too? Oh, shit, yeah. Of course he can. He's an addictive personality. He probably eats all the best stuff <laughs> and all he does the it time. Extra just to make sure that he's... Never yeah. Mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's, he's still a virile man. Although um, Rose filed a defamation... This is the darkest part I, for me. Rose filed a defamation suit against attorney John M. Dowd in July 2016 after Dowd had alleged in a radio interview the previous summer that Rose had engaged in statutory rape. The court document during the suit was released in July 2017 with a sworn statement alleging Rose had engaged in a sexual relationship with a minor in the 1970s. In the light of these allegations, the Phillies cancelled his upcoming Philadelphia baseball Wall of Fame ceremony. On uh, December 15, 2017, a judge dismissed the defamation lawsuit when both parties reached an agreement. Uh, the girl was 16, and that's legal in Cincinnati. It's still fucked. It's still fucked up. It's, so, uh, it's, I feel like the 70s was like, yeah, uh, the 70s different. were mad. Pri yeah. Prior to the 70s, I mean, look at the people in the 50s marrying 15 year olds and stuff. That, I, that, I don't shit. understand any of that. I know. It's <laughs> like, I, you know, as, as dark as it is, you do have to look at it through a lens from the time. And yeah. It was wild back then. This whole groupies and rats and all the horrible things that people were called. It, it like it happened too regularly. But yeah, this that's still dark. Anyway, I, that's a weird note to end on. But that's the <laughs> career and life of Pete Rose. It's been a, it's been quite a long one. I'm sorry for taking so long, but he's a fascinating guy. What do you make of Pete Rose as a kind um, of an idiot? It's it's such a weird one to balance out. Really, I think this one. Yeah, this one I'm not even sure what I want to do because I feel I, know. I feel like he's been punished enough. I I do too, and I think with Pete Rose, I think what we have to surmise, and it's a very easy to con uh, conclusion to really reach here. This is a guy who has an addiction problem. Yes, pretty much in every like women, booze, potentially drugs, but gambling. Mm -hmm. He's just he ha he gets latched onto something potentially because of his personality, and that's it, full force all the time, no stopping. He's just going for it. I think that's part of the reason he got himself into as much trouble as he did. I think so, and you know what? I think that probably came from the way his dad pushed him. And I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. He anyway. He did... Yes. Yeah. I, God, I. What's a C? Seventy is a C. A Seventy is a C. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, he's anything but average, Pete Rose. Yeah, an incredible character. It reminds me a little bit of the Diego Maradona story, right? You've got greatness there, but you've also got you've got the tortured greatness where yeah. there is darkness behind it all, and the capacity for self destruction. So what's that? Didn't he? Didn't he hit somebody with a van? He Maradona? did. Maradona. Yeah, Pete Rose yeah. never hit anybody with a van. Yeah, Maradona also shot a journalist with an air rifle. I don't think Pete Rose did that. He might have punched a few, but <laughs> he definitely didn't. Definitely didn't hit a, a, shoot anyone. So yeah, it's like torture genius again. Uh, greatness is usually followed very closely by uh, the opposite of greatness. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of Pete Rose, I think. Really, I enjoyed the hell out of the story. Thank I you. always like to talk about baseball, and Pete Rose yeah. is so interesting. He is. Um, 
but yeah, just because I, he would honestly not even really a bad guy. No, he didn't, he didn't mean to. And I don't think had full control over some of the dumb stuff he did. Yeah. Um, and actually, this is another thing to point out. Despite the fact that the veterans, when he first joined the Cincinnati Reds, gave him shit, he aligned himself with uh, the African-American members of the team and spent a lot of time with them because he was like, I don't care who you are. As long as you treat me with respect, I will treat you with respect, which was incredibly rare at the time he was joining the team in the early 60s. And also, as time went on, not only did he get the respect of players in the league, but people genuinely liked him. He, Pete Rose mm. is, a, despite all of his flaws, is a very likable human being. Yeah, and people yep. could take lessons from that. I think. Yes, and uh, yeah. So, I, but honestly, just because he's so likable, and yeah. because I feel like he's been punished enough, for sure. I'm just I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a, a seventy for his. I think so. I I I really wanted to cover this because Pete Rose's life is so interesting. And yeah. there is there are definitely aspects of it where it's like if you had been surrounded by better people, you probably wouldn't have done some of this stuff. If you had someone that could maybe help you, someone who had an influence over the fact that, like, Pete, you're living too hard. Stop betting on everything. Right. Stop, like, you know, the tax evasion thing, the the womanizing thing, the, the some of the behaviors, like... It, a lot of it is down to he needed someone with him who could stop, steer him away from that stuff, like a handler, basically. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like if he had that, he wouldn't have been too bad. And I'm I'm happy with a 70 because Pete Rose, and I think I can happily end my thing on him with this. If anybody out there from baseball is listening, stop banning Pete Rose. It's been long enough now. Let the guy be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Not only does he deserve it, but you know that ceremony is going to get entirely more attention than any other ceremony in the next 10, 15, 20 years because of the nature of it. It's good for baseball to let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame at this point. Yes, it's good for baseball, and it's a good time. Yes. Forgive the man. He's old. Don't let this man die and not be in the Hall of Fame, for the love of God. Um, so that's Pete Rose and fucking Avocado Wolf. Yeah, David Alvocado Wolf. And he looks exactly like you'd think. He's got like oh, yeah. frizzy long curly hair and nice. one of them stupid Indiana Jones hats. Oh, really? He's got a fedora. Typical, typical uh, but not even a good one. Like the new agey type Sedona uh, people stuff. Okay, it's like a hemp or something. <laughs> he, just, yeah. he just looks like a hippie. Sure. Not, yeah. Hippies are bad. I like hippies. Hip, hippies are fine. Uh, idiot hippies, not so much. Hippies yeah. that want you to die by taking their silver supplements. They yeah. ain't good hippies there. <laughs> um, so that was a fascinating week. I had a lot of fun researching Pete Rose. Um, he's a really interesting character. If you ever get yeah. a chance to watch any short, like 20 minute, half hour documentary on Pete Rose, he is a fascinating guy, kind of idiosyncratic. I definitely, even if you're not a fan of baseball, it, it baseball breeds these really interesting people <laughs> that are just like fascinating stories. Like the Babe Ruth story is amazing you know um the 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 what's his name oh the guy who um who ended up with uh is it al uh, what's the condition the motor neuro oh, lou, lou Gehrig. what an amazing life yes um geez the, just that, watch some the, of these the high five yes the 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 <laughs> um the the kind of the say it ain't so story um, uh, the, the the gambling thing joe dimaggio's life kind yeah. of amazing just 
these people are fascinating characters. And if you can put aside, like, if you're not a sports person, that's like half the story. The other side of the story is the psychological makeup of these fascinating athletes who go at such a high level for so long, but are deeply troubled people sometimes behind the scenes. So Pete Rose was fun to research. I, your guy was really interesting to learn about. I had no idea. Most raw food people I put down as like, like, do you remember the bad vegan documentary that was on yeah. Netflix recently? Yeah. Like that was a raw food restaurant. That was fascinating because yep. she bought into the lifestyle and you know, that's what I kind of imagine most like raw food people to be like, kind of like laid back, kind of hippie ish, that right. type of thing. But to then go and say, don't vaccinate your kids. They'll get autism by silver yeah. and eat it. So that's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for for those, Derek. Um, it's been it's been a really fun week, and actually, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, we did a great hits episode last week. Some of those of you follow me on social media, and Derek, I want to say thank you as well. Uh, my family has been through a difficult ride the last couple of weeks. We lost my father in law. Um, it's been a very very difficult time, and I just wanted to thank everybody who's reached out and people who are listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, we will be back after this in a couple of weeks time because we have so i have a list of idiots as long <laughs> as my fucking arm to cover and i'm having so much fun doing this um yeah and i'm sure you've got loads of people at the back of i've your got, mind some ideas. Go got some ideas <laughs> we love the conspiracy people they're always funny um so yeah thank you so much everybody if you want to follow us on social media um at history's greatest idiots on instagram and at greatest idiots on twitter you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots. Come along and support us. Be our first ever Patreon. We will send you so much love. I will sign anything you send me in the post at this stage. Please <laughs> come along and be our first Patreon. <laughs> I will sign a jacket. I will sign anything and send it back to you. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and also just, just stay in touch with us. We've always, we're always trying to keep people up to date. If you want to reach out to us, please do. We love interacting. If you have any suggestions, Hit us up on the social medias and give us all of the ideas. We love suggestions. We've used them from time to time. Uh -huh. So thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, for now, that's uh, goodbye from us. Derek, would you like to say goodbye? Uh, before I do, I want to say what's up to oh. all the people in Texas, because I noticed Ooh. they've got high numbers. Are so, we, are we drawing Texans? Texans? Ooh, <laughs> I, I, I've got it. Sorry, I have to look at this now. United States. Oh, yeah. With, Texas is our number one market. Uh-huh. Ooh, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Tomball. There's a place called Tomball. Austin, yep. Deer Park, Lindale, Katy. Oh, okay. Katy, Texas, down there by uh, the Houston area in the Gulf by Galveston. And uh... Wow. Yep. That's that's an awful lot of Texas. Thank you, our Texan friends. My God, I, I one of my best friends is from Texas. She's from uh, near San Antonio. So, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we love you guys down there. <laughs> uh, I, I, I please let us come and visit. We'd love to tour there. Let us be in a theater and be paid for doing this podcast. That would be wonderful. Please, we love you, Texas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until next time, we will see you soon. Derek, uh, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. And we will see you in a couple of weeks, everybody. Bye bye now. <laughs>